When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to episode 10 of the Penscast. Lucas Wester here with you, as usual. Penscast presented by DraftKings on the Hockey Podcast Network. Episode 10 on May 22nd, 2023, it has been a very, very interesting and intriguing week for the Penguins in their general manager search, and that is basically all I'm going to talk about today, because that has dom- dominated the news cycle, not just for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but in the all hockey circles. The biggest thing that's happening not on the ice is happening with all these GM searches, And the biggest story of all was the Toronto Maple Leafs and what they did in the last week. And it definitely affects the Penguins more so today than ever. So we're going to get into all that. But I want to do chronologically. I want to do this chronologically because right after I recorded episode nine, I hadn't even had it uploaded yet. And I go on Twitter and Pierre Lebrun had a report, Pierre Lebrun of TSN and The Athletic, had a report saying that. There were 10 to 12 Zoom interviews in round one for the Penguins general manager, president of hockey ops, whatever, search. And the names he was able to conclude and you know confirm were some of the guys that we talked about last episode, and I kind of profiled them, being former Mont- Montreal Canadiens general manager, Mark Bergevin, former Edmonton Oilers and Boston Bruins general manager, Peter Shirelli. Jason Carmanos, who has had various jobs throughout the NHL, including with the Penguins, former, I think he was the assistant general manager in Buffalo most recently. Another name that LeBron confirmed was Eric Tolsky, who's gotten a lot of talk in basically every GM opening that's that's out there. Every team wants Eric Tolsky, the assistant general manager for the Carolina Hurricanes. That was last Monday. Let's go a little more recently. I think it was a day or two after that uh, on the Jeff Merrick show, Elliot Friedman was on and said the Penguins 
originally wanted to hire a president of hockey operations first, and that Mark Bergevin was unlikely for that position. He mentioned that Eric Tolsky, the aforementioned Eric Tolsky, was an option, but the Penguins were denied permission for Chicago Blackhawks assistant general manager Jeff Greenberg and former Calgary Flames general manager Brad Tree Living. So all that information came out just a day or two after that. And then on Wednesday on the 32 Thoughts podcast, by the way, just going to preface all this, most of this information is from Elliot Friedman uh, from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. I'm obviously going to attribute each thing to whoever had it, but Frege is one of the best insiders in the league, and most of this information is from him. So I, I trust all this information, and all the credit goes to him. He mentioned on the 32 Thoughts podcast Wednesday that John Shaka has relationships with Fenway Sports Group, and he uh, specifically noted that he had relationships with Theo Epstein, who once upon a time was the Boston Red Sox general manager. There's the Fenway connection. He also was the Cubs general manager. I don't know if he still is. I don't follow baseball as closely, but he. But basically, the emphasis was on that Cheka has relationships with people in Penguins ownership. On on the same podcast, just after he mentioned that, the names that he mentioned for that he believes were first interviews were Jason Botterill, former Penguin assistant general manager, current Seattle Kraken assistant general manager, Jason Carmanos. Matthew Darsh, the former Tampa, well, the current Tampa Bay Lightning assistant general manager. Steve Greeley, who is the director of hockey strategy, scouting, and development for the Dallas Stars. Dan McKinnon, who is the director of player personnel, for, the senior director of player personnel for the New Jersey Devils, who uh, Friedman noted has a history with Mike Sullivan. Megan Duggan, who is the director of player development for the New Jersey Devils. Kate Madigan, who is the assistant general manager of the New Jersey Devils. Eric Tolsky, the aforementioned Eric Tolsky. Peter Shirelli, Mark Bergevin. Sam Ventura, who is a name that we brought up last week. I haven't heard much more about, but uh, Friedman did mention him. Cam Lawrence of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He is a team consultant uh, per Elite Prospects. And three people... He confirmed that three people were rejected from having permission to talk to the Penguins, the aforementioned Bradtree Living and Jeff Greenberg, as well as a new name that was brought up, Ryan Martin, who is the assistant general manager of the New York Rangers. That one makes sense. You wouldn't want your rival, one of your rivals hiring your guys. I get that one. The Greenberg and Tree Living one never really made sense to me why they would deny um, permission especially Tree Living, because Tree Living was fired. He doesn't even have a job right now, but they're still not letting him talk to anybody because he's under contract, technically. The Greenberg one, I sort of get, he's going to be part of their rebuild. They want to keep him there. But yeah, the Tree Living one never really made sense to me. And on that same podcast, Friedman talked about how they were beginning phase two of interviews, and they those phase two interviews included interviews with Matthew Darsh, Dan McKinnon, Eric Tolsky, Steve Greeley, Jason Carmanos. And he said the Penguins are looking hard at John Chaka for that president job, like we mentioned. And also mentioned that Jason Botterill would probably want a, a higher job, want the president job, not necessarily a general manager job. He also mentioned 
that Botterill did eventually get an interview on Thursday. This past Saturday, Friedman reports that the Penguins are very far down their general manager search, but after the fallout in Toronto, they were at they went and asked MLSE and the Maple Leafs uh, executives for permission to talk to Kyle Dubas for one of these jobs, and they were given permission. That was just confirmed today. Now, I I feel like there should be some context to this and how this came to be because the name for a long time that Penguin fans were were calling for was Kyle Dubas. It kind of shifted to Eric Tolsky. Now every team wants Eric Tolsky as their general manager. Leaf fans want it. Penguin fans want it. But for a long time there, whenever it seemed like it was a real possibility before the Leafs won their first round, Dubas was the guy. Now, to be able to contextualize all this to you, I want to go through an article that theleafsnation.com wrote and published, which kind of timelines what happened here with the Leafs and Kyle Dubas. So, in the summer of 2022... President of the Maple Leafs, Brandon Shanahan, told Dubas that he was not going to be offered a contract heading into the final year of his deal, and Dubas was going to, you know, reevaluate. Or sorry, Shanahan was going to reevaluate at the end of the year whether or not Dubas would be extended. Shanahan, at his press conference this past week, uh, I think I believe it was Friday, he kind of, you know, laid all this out for the reporters and shed a lot of light on this process. So one of the tidbits he added here was that at around mid-March, he approached Dubas and said that he had seen enough uh, in his mind to be feel comfortable bringing Dubas back and signing him to an extension. However, Dubas said that he wanted to uh, talk with his family at, at the end of the season and give it some time to reflect and see if this is really what he wanted. By the end of the regular season, Shanahan made it clear that he did want him back, and Dubas seemed uh, happy with that idea and, and did want to continue the uh, the job. But there, throughout the year, there were some reported rifts between the two, and Dubas did seem to be involved in part of a power struggle where he didn't feel comfortable with the system that he had to go through to make decisions. Essentially, the idea was that Dubas, being the general manager, thought he should have ultimate say in hockey personnel, but allegedly the process was he had to go through Shanahan, and Shanahan had to report to the board of directors, which the Maple Leafs are owned by a conglomerate of two telecom companies, and Larry Tannenbaum, who's a individual billionaire. So there's obviously a lot of cooks in the kitchen there. And Dubas wasn't happy with the power dynamic that was left, uh, you know, to make decisions. And it, it also seemed, you'll find out here in a second, that there was a bit of a financial need that Dubas wasn't as comfortable with as well for himself and his contract. Even after the playoff loss, Dubas and Shanahan spoke, and Shanahan emphasized to Dubas that he thought that he did a really good job this season you know, in his general manager role and was completely comfortable again bringing him back. Dubis had a media availability on Monday, the end of season media availability, the same locker clean out day that all the players do. 
And Shanahan emphasized to Dubas that he thought he shouldn't talk at the press conference, that he should wait until a contract is official, that he will be coming back as general manager. But Dubas didn't agree with that. He felt that since the players had to go through the process of the end of season availability, that he should also have to, you know, face the music and talk to the media. Shanahan respected those wishes, and Dubas would go on to have his season uh, media availability. And that is where things took a turn. Kyle Dubas got on to the podium and was answering questions from the media, but he also opened with talking about his future and men- and acknowledged the fact that obviously there wasn't a contract there and he still felt that he needed to talk with his family about the job before he signs another contract. One of the quotes he says is to kind of reassure Leafs fans was that it'll either be here or it'll be ta- taking time to recalibrate and reflect on the seasons here. So he was trying to emphasize that obviously it's if he's not going to be the Leafs GM, he's not going any, anywhere else. And Brandon Shanahan made a point to mention that that was basically the moment that made him flip a switch mentally and decide that Kyle may not be fully committed to this and there may be a legitimate chance he doesn't come back. So Brandon must start looking at other options for who's going to lead this team going into the future. After that Monday press conference, Tuesday, uh, Kyle said, Kyle and I did not meet privately. Wednesday, they did meet privately and they discussed the situation for a long time, but Shanahan left with more questions than answers. So obviously, he did not get much clarity out of the situation from that. And obviously, as his job, he's thinking, he again, he needs to consider the possibility that Kyle Dubas will not be back Uh, in the future or next season. And one of the quotes he said was, so my focus then again, continue toward the path. What do we look like next year with a different general manager? Thursday, Shanahan said Dubas reached out and said he would speak with him uh, and that his agent would as well. Kyle's agent did contact Shanahan and presented him with a new financial package. Um, It sounds like he was asking for more money there at the end. And, It was a very brief conversation between the agent and Brendan Shanahan. Dubas would later, at the end of the night, email Shanahan saying that he does want to be the general manager of the Maple Leafs. However, at that point, it seems like Shanahan was already so far down the line thinking that a change did need to be made. If this guy's not fully committed, we can't bring him back. He said that he decided then to make the change. And Friday morning, he drove to Dubas's office and informed him that they were not going to be renewing his contract. And he did that while Kyle presumably thought he had the job. Friedman was mentioning on one of his podcasts that it sounded like from people around the Leafs and around um, the league that Kyle was even telling people, like, I'm back you know, I'm, I'm going to be here. Don't worry. It, it, it sounded very much like it was a done deal, but it wasn't in, in Kyle's hands anymore. Kyle thought he wielded the power in the situation. Shanahan decided no. He decided you're not coming back. And that is how Kyle Dubas 
became a free agent and an option now for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So let's bring it back to present day. That was a recap of last week's events. What happened today? Well, Penguins were granted permission to talk to Kyle Dubas from MLSE, like I mentioned. And Elliot Friedman mentioned that if this happens, expect it to be quick. The Penguins were very far down their search for general manager and were probably expected to announce it very soon, if not maybe even today, Monday, May 22nd. It sounded like it was very, very close to ending and being a done deal. But this threw a wrench in their plans and they're delaying it. And the fact that they're delaying it for this one guy tells you all you need to know about what the organization feels about him that they very much believe that he is the guy and they think that it's worth a shot. And just because he said it wouldn't, if it's going to be, it's either going to be the Leafs or nothing. I don't believe that anymore. He wanted to come back and they told him, no, they denied him. I think he's totally valid if he doesn't abide by that anymore because he's not the one that, you know, left on his own accord. They essentially fired him. The press releases all said that they parted ways with Kyle Dubas and they weren't renewing his contract. Brandon Shanahan essentially fired him. That's basically what happened. Now, more so about the positions itself, Friedman mentioned he's not completely convinced that the Penguins are going to hire both roles of president of hockey ops and general manager. He says that it seems like they want one lead person. This was on today's 32 Thoughts episode. They want one lead person and they can kind of promote and you know move around people that need fit. So I, I imagine that if they, if they wanted to hire two of these people, one of them could get a bump if they, if they need to make it work, if they really want to hire two people, or they could just go with one person, have the full, uh, the full responsibility. And the fact he mentioned that makes me think even more that this is Dubas's job and that by the end of the week, I'm going to have some emergency alert episode that Kyle Dubas is the lead guy. I don't know if it's going to be president of hockey ops, general manager, both. I don't know what title they're going to give him, but it seems very likely at this point that they're going to go hard for Kyle Dubas. Now, before the Dubas news came out the past couple episodes. I've been talking about this search without Kyle Dubas because it genuinely seemed like that wasn't going to be an option anymore. Once the Maple Leafs won that first round, it seemed like his job was safe, but I mean, and it was until he brought doubt to it. And then Brennan Shanahan decided to move on. So everyone was completely valid in thinking that it was over. Dubas was not coming. The past couple of weeks, we've been looking at every other name but Dubas. The guy I've always been vouching for was Eric Tolsky. Uh, I think in a perfect world, if you do hire two people, my ideal setup here is GM Tolsky because he would be getting a promotion from his current role if he's GM, and then president of Hockey Ops Dubas. If you want him to give full autonomy, I'm totally okay with giving both roles to Dubas. Um, say Dubas is staying by his word, though, and he doesn't want to come back uh, to any team but the Leafs, and he wants to take his year off or whatever now, especially after the week that he's had 
I would understand, you know, needing to take a step back because if media pressure and fan pressure and everything is the biggest part that he's talking about in terms of his family, completely get it. And this week more than ever, because he's been in the limelight way more than most general managers ever are. So just to reiterate, as it sounds right now, Kyle Dubas, if he wants it, has the Pittsburgh job. Whatever Pittsburgh job it is, it seems like they're leaving it up to him. And Fenway Sports Group wants to get him on board in the worst way. So very, 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 very interesting stuff that's come out in the past week in regards to the Penguins general manager search. Uh, It could happen as soon as possible right now. Well, I could get an alert that tells me uh, the Penguins have hired somebody. And it might not be even their final hire. And in regards to Dubas, my only concern that I saw someone uh, bring up on Twitter was that it might mean that maybe Sullivan's on a shorter leash if they give him like full autonomy. Because one thing about Dubas that we learned from his entire time in Toronto is he loves his guys and he brings in his guys. A lot of Sault Ste. Marie guys he'll bring in, uh, you know, around the team, players and whatnot, even Sheldon Keefe. So that's a concern of mine. And I don't know how much I love Sheldon Keefe as Penguins head coach. So I like to think that Fenway would have Sullivan's back a little bit. And I would like to see a duo of uh, Dubas and Sullivan. I think it could work as long as Dubas doesn't try to get stubborn and, you know, bring in his own guy. So that's just a little interesting tidbit, I think, to add on to all of this stuff. But we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get into other stuff that's going on around the league, how it might, re- you know, relate and affect the Penguins. And we'll come back after this short commercial break. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Let's take a quick look over on some odds for the Conn Smythe winner. Right now, as it stands, Florida's up 2-0. Vegas is up 2-0. We've seen some incredible performances, especially out of the Panthers. Sergei Bobrovsky and Matthew Kachuk are tied for the best odds to win the Conn Smythe Trophy, both at plus 425 right now. And below them are two Vegas Golden Knights. It makes sense. Both teams are up to nothing. Jack Eichel is just below Matthew Kachuk at a plus 500. And behind him is Mark Stone at a plus 600. After that, there's quite a big drop-off. You have Rupe Hint, Sebastian Ajo, Marcia So, Frederick Anderson. Uh, so a lot of good options there for who's going to be the playoff MVP when this is all said and done. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and sign up with code THPN. That's THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Like I said, code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. 
Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for offered details. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Welcome back. So this is the second time I've had to do an insert on this episode. I finished recording and finished editing, and then this just popped up. So it's something I need to talk about, and it kind of goes off of the conversation we had before the commercial break. So definitely worth mentioning. Rob Rossi of The Athletic, 12 minutes ago, released an article updating the search, and he had some interesting tidbits that he got um, some sources on, so it's definitely worth mentioning. He mentioned that last week uh, a bunch of candidates uh, were actually invited to John Henry's house of Fenway Sports Group, one of the leaders, I think it's the head of the FSG group, um, and the, they were invited there, and two of, two of those candidates were actually former Penguin employees, like we mentioned, McKinnon and Carmanos, two of them, but this is new. The candidate that aced their interviews the most, which is the way uh, Rob Rossi put it, was Eric Tulski, the assistant general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes. He said that he impressed the FSG brass specifically specifically at the in-person meeting with Henry and Tom Werner. And this was a team, a Penguin team source that wanted to remain anonymous, obviously. And about Tulski, Rossi writes that Tulski is one of the Hurricanes' two assistant GMs. He has played a pivotal role, including direct involvement on all hockey operations, decisions, analytics, scouting, and contract negotiations under Carolina GM Don Waddell. The Hurricanes are in the Eastern Conference Final and have qualified for the past five postseasons, winning at least one series each time. So there you go. But he also goes on to talk about how Tulski has emerged as one of the top candidates, but the, the entire search happened while... Dubis was still a Toronto Maple Leaf employee, so there's something there, um, you know, that things might change, basically. He goes on to write that the Penguins were willing to offer Dubis full control of their hockey operations department, and that it's possible the Penguins bring in Dubis as the president of Hockey Ops and Tolski as the general manager. Praise the Lord. That's what we were looking for, baby. And I'm really happy that someone's actually writing about this because that's the combination that Penguin fans want. That's, we we got it. I, I really hope that that does come to fruition, but that's new development that Tolski impressed the ownership group and it seems like they're zeroing in on him as one of their top guys, if not the top guy. And like I said before the break, he would get a promotion to GM I'm sure he would want that. You can give Dubas a promotion to president of hockey ops. If you want two people, that's the way to go. Those are the two you want. Having those two guys run a team, chef's kiss. That's what I want as a Penguin fan. We're going to go back to the rest of the show. This is an insert, like I said, late, but had to mention it. Rossi's confirming Penguins and FSG really, really like Tolski. And he's an option to be GM, and Dubas is still an, uh, one of the options for GM, or maybe even president of Hockey Ops. Back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome back. Something that was announced today that is definitely Penguins related, because they're the ones that announced it, is that the new, they kind of announced it earlier, but I guess they've given more detail to it. It's the new all-inclusive uh, club that they're building underneath the seats in one of the, I think it's section 109. 
the Casamigos Club for, I think it said it's exclusive for season ticket holders in Section 109. So very exclusive, you know, not very uh, open to the public, but it does look like an interesting uh, little club that they'll have down there. There's going to be food and drinks and stuff, and they're going to have access right to the glass, a uh, little like walkway that they usually do the Emily Kaplan or whatever sideline like reports that they do right there. Um, so an interesting exclusive little tit- little tidbit, little ad thing that the uh, Penguins are doing for their uh, season ticket holders and stuff. So interesting nonetheless. What part? Of, it's a part of the renovations that are doing this season. Also, this past week, they released a video of them tearing down basically all of the scoreboard, everything except for the the skeleton of it. So they're, they're going to be bringing that new scoreboard in too. So PPG Paints Arena is going to look a little different when we go back in the fall and see some more Penguins hockey. And but I guess it might be good that the Penguins missed the playoffs because they're able to get to that work a little earlier now than they would have been able to. But this is an interesting thing to bring up because everyone's talking uh, in the replies about Hire Dubis, hire Tolski to the uh, Casamigos Club tweet. But one thing that I don't think is talked about enough that's always irked me, or at least recently has irked me, is about um, about the arena. They still have the Vegas gold seats. So if you aren't, I mean, I'm sure most of you have either been or seen PPG Paints Arena. All the seats, for the most part, are are have like a black back to them. Except basically every 10 rows or so, there's a ring around the entire arena of seats that are the Vegas gold, which was the old, like, tannish gold that the Penguins used to wear before they switched black uh, back to the black and yellow. Excuse me. Um, so, and they haven't worn that since 2015-16, so maybe it's time to replace those seat coverings that are that, you know, Vegas gold tan to either make them all black or make them yellow. I understand that there's some concern with making seats that bright, gaudy yellow, because look at what happens at, P- at uh, not PNC Park, at Heinz Field, Acker Stadium, whatever you want to call it. Whenever there's not a sellout, it's very evident because of how bright and gaudy those seats are. So I understand that. But at the same time, it's 2023 now. They haven't worn those jerseys in seven years. I think it's time to do that. If you're putting all this money into all these other things to make the arena better, it cannot cost that much money to just pop off that seat covering and get some yellow ones. Or if you want and you want it to be looking classy, make them all black. Who cares? You don't need the gold there or the yellow. Just get rid of that Vegas gold. It's terrible. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of it. Someone brought it up in their replies, and it's a very good point. It made me think of... uh, a thought that that's I've had that same thought uh, basically multiple times because I was down there so often. I kept thinking, why are they still with this Vegas gold? It makes no sense to me. But such a side note, such a stupid discussion to have to begin with, but something that irks me, whatever. Around the league, there are obviously other general manager openings that are available. And one got f- kind of filled today. was not really sure if it's a, been made official yet. But the Calgary Flames found their new head coach in within their organization, Craig Conroy, who was a longtime executive in the Calgary Flames 
organization has been promoted to general manager. Um, so, and this, that seems like one of the better choices. I don't know a ton about him, but it seems like uh, of the people that were named as possibilities, there was a lot of the Mark Bergevans of the world, uh, Peter Shirelli's that were mentioned. So I'm sure Calgary Flames fans are, think that they got the best option that they could have. So that's great for them. I think Don Maloney still uh, is the step up above whoever the GM, uh, well, Conroy in this case, uh, I think Dan Maloney has the fine, might have the final say. I think he's the president of hockey ops there, which if I'm a Flames fan, I don't love that because he doesn't have the best track record. But Craig Conroy seems all right, uh, and everyone seems to be pretty okay with that decision, so that's fine. On the flip side, the other Canadian team that has a GM opening is the Toronto Maple Leafs, obviously, from all the Dubas stuff we talked about. And the names that are popping up there are not great. If I was a Maple Leafs fan, I'd be pretty, pretty shook if I saw, if I, well, if one of these guys ends up getting the job. Um, some of the guys who have been mentioned pretty prominently are um, Mark Hunter, who was the former assistant general manager for the Leafs before. Um, Kyle Dubas was promoted to GM. He was, uh, they were assistants together. So that's obviously something there. Um, so there's some, uh, some, some sports books out there have put some odds up for who's going to be the next GM. And uh, Brad Tree Living, the former Flames guy, is up there. Tolsky's a guy that's been brought up for it, but it seems like it's more fan driven than it is actual reports. I haven't heard much saying that the Leafs uh, general manager search is heading in that direction or they've like looked into him. It seems more like the fans want him, which I don't blame them because I want him for the Penguins too. Uh, Brandon Pridham is up there, who is an assistant GM there already. That seems like one of the more logical choices. But yeah, after that, it gets a little bleak. Mark Hunter, Stan Bowman, Mark Bergevin have been mentioned. Um, Peter Shirelli. Not great. In on uh, some of these uh, betting websites, also uh, Eric. Uh, well, not sorry, not Eric. Um, Brian Burke and Ron Hextall are mentioned. I don't think that they're going to get the jobs, uh, but it would be really, really funny if they did. Be really funny because we saw how much they tore apart this Penguins team and absolutely sent them, you know, uh, down the tube. So could be interesting i think bradshaw living could be an interesting guy for that job just because he was willing to make the hard decisions in calgary they may not have worked out necessarily but at the time i thought the kachuk trade was an absolute win for the flames they got a all-star winger one of the best wingers in the league in jonathan huberto and one of the most underrated defenders in mackenzie Weger. And they gave up a guy who probably wasn't going to resign there in Matthew Kachuk. It just looks really bad with how bad Huberto performed this year. I don't really know about the performance of Mackenzie Weger. I didn't really look into that much for this season. But it didn't seem like Flames fans were too impressed. And it just hurts so much more after seeing how good Kachuk's doing in Florida in these playoffs. Back-to-back overtime game-winning goals in the Eastern Conference Final it's unbelievable. So I think he could be the guy to restart all that. 
um, and tr- be willing to trade some of those big guys like a Marner or Needlander. There's been reports that Matthews isn't going to resign by July 1st, which that must that would scare the crap out of me if I'm a Maple Leafs fan. I'd be really worried about that. So definitely that's one of the guys I would look at. Pridham, I think, would be an okay option. But if you go backwards with one of those Mark Hunters or Shirelli's or whatever, that's so bad for Maple Leafs fans and Maple Leafs hockey. I don't because they're very were perceived as a very progressive organization, analytically minded. Those guys are not that. Stan Bowman shouldn't have a job in any NHL team, in in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, that that's that's how I view it. I really hope for Maple Leafs fans that they get someone that's more uh, forward thinking. But it, it, things are looking pretty bleak right now for the Maple Leafs. Going back to things that are more Penguins related. Something that has been brought up multiple times on Twitter, on 32 Thoughts, uh, everywhere, is how the Penguins' loss to the Blackhawks at the end of the year, the second last game of the season, the one that uh, you know eliminated them from the playoffs, essentially, the ripple effect that that's had throughout the league. The Blackhawks won that game, and that gave them enough points to finish third last in the NHL. Because of that, they were assigned whatever random combination that they were assigned with how many, the third best odds to get Bedard, but not the second or first most odds, third best. They won Bedard with that. And also, Florida clinched a playoff spot, basically, because of that. And now they're about to win the Stanley Cup, where they're, they look very hot. I'm just going to say that. They, they look like they're on a, an absolute terror I've been talking to my friends about the that uh, team, and I don't see a team stopping them. I really don't. They have uh, 2012 LA Kings vibes to them. They are just on fire, snuck into the playoffs, and are just tearing through teams and embarrassing them along the way. Um, so that loss might yield a Stanley Cup champion and yield a generational talent going to a, one specific team. That game, that game that I did a podcast after, uh, I was down there, obviously. That game may be the most influential game of the last few years, which seemed like, a for the Blackhawks, a non-consequential game. For the Penguins, it meant a whole lot. And I'm sure for the Blackhawks, I'm sorry, for the uh, Florida Panthers at the time and the New York Islanders, they cared about it because it you know helped their playoff chances. But no one would have thought it would have the repercussions that it had in giving Chicago Bedard and possibly awarding a Stanley Cup champion. Just unbelievable, really. Now, I'd like to have another quick, quick Penguins history segment. This week, this past week, uh, was Election Day in the United States of America in a lot of places. And the election that had the most influence on hockey fans took place in Tempe, Arizona, of all places, where there was uh, three different but kind of the same referendums put up to a vote for the residents of Tempe, basically deciding, do you want to keep, oops, sorry, hit the mic, do you want to keep the Arizona Coyotes here, and which would require rezoning a landfill into you know commercial space for an arena 
for residential, air, all, the, all the works that they were going to build in that development. Rezoning, and then there was also a tax component that I believe the Coyotes were going to get public funds, and then they, I think they're also going to get a they get some tax relief themselves. Um, and that's and that's not confirmed. I just I I think I read that. I'm not going to go through the specifics because there's so much that's been written about this. I'm never going to find it. But essentially the vote was, do you want the Coyotes here or not? That's what the voters were voting on. And going into the night, everyone in the yes camp and the Coyotes, you know, are going to stay here camp believed the Coyotes would win the vote. And just like they do on the ice most of the times, they lost. They lost the vote. And all week, it's basically been, where are the Coyotes going? The day after, uh, Assistant Commissioner Bill Daly, uh, sorry, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, came out and said that next season he envisions the team in Mullet Arena in Arizona. But that's not 100% confirmed. And also, what's after that? They do not have any concrete plans for anything moving forward on where they're going to be. They're very much the nomad team of the NHL. And the Penguins, your favorite team, if you're here and you're listening to a Penguin podcast, they're your favorite team, believe it or not, were in this situation before. Now, it was never put to a vote necessarily, but there were very tumultuous times for the Penguins in Pittsburgh, and that's been well documented. They've been in bankruptcy multiple times. But the thing that relates most to this Arizona incident is what happened in the mid to late 2000s, where the Penguins, their lease at the Mellon Arena was coming up, and I believe it was 2007. They were in a fight with the local and state government to keep the team in Pittsburgh. And there were many times in that stretch where the ownership of the team would take some trips to Vegas, would take some trips to Houston or Kansas City. They went to Oklahoma City. They went to Hartford, Connecticut, Hamilton, Ontario. They would go with the intention of talking to local leaders, engaging interest on whether or not they would want the Penguins. The Peng- Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania governments did not want to spend money on another stadium. They already put up, a, they already foot the bill for a good chunk of two new arenas at the end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s for the Steelers and the Pirates. Respectively, Heinz Field and PNC Park were built to replace the Three River Stadium. And they did not want to add to that bill that they've already accumulated with the taxpayers. And once the negotiation finally got underway and things were agreed upon to build at the time the Consol Energy Center, now the PPG Paints Arena, at the time, Lemieux and the ownership group was very, oh, we were never going to leave, you know, yada, yada. But as times passed, as that's become more ancient history, people get more honest. And we've got some some interesting quotes here. And this is from Andrew Conti's book, Breakaway, The Inside Story of the Pittsburgh Penguins' Rebirth. There's some very interesting quotes in this book that surround 
you know, whether the penguin during the penguins uh, incidents with bankruptcy and moving and whatnot. And here are some quotes from that book. This one is from Ken Sawyer, the CEO of the penguins from 2006 to 2010. Quote, if the governor ever pulled the deal off the table in Pennsylvania, the team was not going to be in Pittsburgh. Whether it was going to Kansas City or not, I don't know, but there was no future. You had to lay the groundwork for eventualities. David Morehouse has a quote in that one as well, president of Penguins from uh, April 2007 to recently, I believe it was 2021 is when he stepped down. Uh, Later that afternoon, Morehouse called a conference call with Burkle, Lemieux, Sawyer, and Chuck Greenberg. Listen, this is where they are, Morehouse said. They're not getting the message. We've tried everything. We're going to have to explore a move. Referring to talking about government leaders in the area. So very much was a possibility. And one of the co-owners of the team, Ron Burkle, he was a co-owner since 1999 until they sold off to Fenway Sports Group. This is a quote um, from, from him out of that book. If the decision had been only about the best offer on paper, the Penguins might have gone. Talk about moving to Kansas City has been real. Things started dragging out on the Pittsburgh negotiations, Burkle said. Then we kind of lost faith that we were going to get a deal done because we didn't feel like there was any motivation to get something done. So we had to face reality. We had to go out and get busy and figure out what our alternatives were. So from the sounds of that and from the previous quotes, it was very close to being a reality that there would be no Pittsburgh Penguins. So I don't know what I would be doing right now. Um, they would either probably, it sounded like Kansas city was the top option at the time, uh, just through, you know, rumors and everything, but also even these two quotes, Sawyer and Burkle both mentioned Kansas city outright, but it, it was very close that this team would not be here. And obviously maybe by now there would be an expansion team here because obviously through the years they've gone through expansion, but Pittsburgh has become one of the top United States cities for hockey whether that be TV ratings or talent, on-ice talent. There's so many young players that are coming up through the ranks here through the programs that the Penguins have either run or subsidized. It's very hard to imagine this city without the Pittsburgh Penguins, but not even 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, from like the entire era, basically from 2000 to 2007, eight, that stretch there, right as they hit rock bottom and were starting to climb, and there was a little bit of promise there. They had Crosby, Malkin, and Fleury. Even then, there was a chance this that team was moving to one of those locations. Like I said, Kansas City was the big one, but there were a lot other locations that were looked at, including of the eventual NHL, uh, one of the team, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. A city where there's an expansion team now. Las Vegas could have gotten the Penguins. Kansas City could have gotten the Penguins. There was a good chance Pittsburgh would not have gotten the Penguins. And it sounds like there were better offers on the table elsewhere. But the Penguins had to take a little, you know, take a hit a little bit just to keep that team here. So, and I'm sure a lot of that was Lemieux's doing, Burkle's doing, uh, Morehouse, I'm sure, had a big say in that. And he... Morehouse is an interesting story, actually, because he's a local guy, and all signs point that he was a big part of getting the arena done the begin the you know from the beginning, because 
the Steelers are low key right now trying to also get either some money, public money for renovations or maybe a new stadium altogether. And after he was let go by the Penguins, it was it was obviously known about his influence during the uh, Penguins negotiation to get an arena. The Steelers snagged him up, originally kept him on as like a low level role, just, you know, to have him on payroll. But recently they promoted him. And all signs are pointing to that he is going to lead the charge to get the Steelers' money to get themselves either a new facility or a refreshed facility over on the north side. So very interesting stuff about the, how the Penguins stayed here. And just a side note for Arizona, I've I've spent very little time there, but I have been to Arizona. I have interacted with a lot of Coyotes fans online. It's a beautiful area. And obviously, hockey talent has come out of there. You look no further than the Toronto Maple Leafs, and their best player, last year's Hart winner, Austin Matthews, was raised in Arizona. Matthew Nyes, their new up-and-coming rookie forward, he's from Arizona. The, the area obviously has an appetite for professional hockey. I don't blame the fans for all this situation. They've not had a solid home in their entirety of being there after moving from Winnipeg in the 90s. I feel really bad for Arizona Coyotes fans. I know a lot of people are online or just looking at it as like a fun game. Where are they going to move to next? Let's have, make a prediction. Let's have a poll, whatever. But in reality, there's people's lives that are at stake here because in their livelihood, there's so much that goes on in making a hockey team run, any professional sports team behind the scenes. It's not just the players or the people you see that sit at podiums and answers questions and press conferences. There's so many people that work the concessions, that work on the business side, that work maintenance, all of it that you're never going to hear about, or you're never going to see, but they will likely lose, lose their jobs if this team moves. And it's terrible. And hockey obviously can work in Arizona. ASU is one of the top performing college hockey teams in the NCAA. But the Coyotes have never had any luck or help from ownership to get themselves an actual arena. There's no, there, there, there's been no luck there. The league has helped. The league has done what they could do. Gary Bettman has tried his hardest to make it work there. But for some reason or another, there's governmental issues there that don't want them to have an arena. It just hasn't been working. So I feel for the Coyotes fans, and I really hope something does get resolved. I'm not cheering for them to move. Personally, I would like to see a beautiful arena in Scottsdale or something like that, if that would work out. Because like the like I said, the area is beautiful down there. There's so much natural beauty. It's such a fun, nice place to be. And hockey could work there. Hockey works in the desert. It works in Vegas. It can work in Arizona. They just haven't gotten it right yet. So I'm really hoping for them. Us Penguin fans are lucky because we have been in that position before. It for, for the younger fans, it might not feel like it was ever a possibility. It was. And we shouldn't be laughing because we were in a position where multiple times where the team could have been sold and moved. So that's it for the Penguins History Corner on this one. And that's it for episode 10 of the Penscast. Like I said, if any movement happens with the general manager search, which I'm thinking it will, because it sounds like this week is going to be the week. It sounds like they're very close to naming it. 
already today until Dubis became an option. So that got delayed a little bit. But if something happens this week, any hire, whether it be president of hockey ops, GM or whatever, I will make an ep- a podcast episode to break it down and uh, you know share my feelings on it. But for now, that's it. My voice is starting to hurt. I'm, we just hit the 47 minute mark. I'm going to call it a day and hopefully see you sometime soon with some good news. See ya. Wait, one thing I forgot to mention that happened this week that I really want to talk about. Yarmir Yager came back to Pittsburgh. And I'm not exactly sure what the point was, but he posted multiple times that he was at PPG Paints Arena. He, at the day before, was at a signing in Monroeville, I believe. I saw a friend of the show, Brian Metzer, got some pictures with him as well at uh, whatever session Yager was doing out there. But the Penguins brought him into the arena, and they had a little thing set up in the locker room for him. They had his jersey up with a, a framed newspaper of uh, whenever he was captain. And something to think about. I've heard rumors in the past little bit that they're trying to bring him more on board and retire his jersey. So look for that next year. I wanted to mention that just because that happened just this past weekend. Definitely keep an eye on that situation. And he just posted, I think, on his Instagram too, something about he'll be back in his very much his uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger era. And I really hope he does come back and the Penguins can mend that fence because he left in bad terms. He never really came back on good terms either. But something to think about. Yarmir Yager coming back to the Penguins organization in some way. Uh, not management or anything. I'm not, not expecting that. I'm just saying making the relationship, you know, nice, respectful, and giving him the proper send-off. His jersey should be hanging next to Lemieux's, no question. So just something, a little tidbit I wanted to add. So, yep, thank you. That's all for today. Bye-bye.